Take the word of God, and if you turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 16, Acts uh, chapter 16, and as you're uh, turning there, uh, Paul in Acts chapter 16 is beginning his uh, second missionary journey. Uh, we know that um, the plan, if you remember back in chapter 15, was that Paul and Barnabas uh, their thought was for them to go back and visit the brethren in every city where they had preached the word and to see how they were doing. And the reason for that is because many of those cities, they saw persecution, so they're wondering, how are they faring? Uh, have the churches continued in our absence? They did not have the resources that we have with regards to the internet and to uh, being able to just to call their brethren there in Antioch or um, Iconium or Lystra or Derby and say, hey, how are you all doing? So they would travel and to go there to the place and to see uh, how uh, they were doing. You know, you wonder sometimes how they lived without uh, technology and cell phones, but they did. They made it and they were okay. Uh, and so sometimes maybe there's a little too much of that in our lives and it kind of clouds a little bit uh, some of our lives. But uh, we see here that... Um, they're planning on going back through, uh, and we know that Paul and Barnabas separated, so they're going to go two different directions. And so we talked about how last week Paul uh, went in Asia Minor to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, and checked on the believers there. Now we continue, and there is a, a second part to this chapter. Notice Acts 16, verse 6. Let's read verse 6 down to verse 10. This section here is called... The Macedonian call. I don't know if you have your Bible. Maybe you have a title over that section. I don't have one in mind, uh, in mind, but sometimes that's entitled here where God was going to move Paul from Asia Minor into Macedonia. So present day, that's Turkey. And present day Macedonia is Greece uh, today. And so there's the Aegean Sea between those and he would sell from Asia Minor. But let's look at what happened here. I think there's a lot of interesting things that uh, we find here in this section. So notice Acts 16, uh, the Bible says in verse 6, Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Now we could continue here. They're going to sail from there. But I want you to notice here in verse 10, they gathered that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Uh, this is a call from God. Notice the word is used there, call to go into Macedonia. Initially, we know that the command is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, that is exactly what Paul and Barnabas had endeavored to do. Their mindset was, let's go everywhere. But within that command is what we find here a particular call or we could say a specific direction. 
But I want us to note here that the specific call and the specific direction is born out of their obedience to the command. And what I'm saying to us here is, before we go into the message, is that I believe that any direction or call from the Lord in our lives is always going to be born out of obedience to God. So I'd like to preach on this, a call born out of obedience. A call born out of obedience. If you were to look at a map of the region here, we know if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the geography of that area, but if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, it's hard for me because I have to think in reverse, you're looking up here, and so I'm trying to think of you, but on the east side, I'm turning around, but I'm, I'll, I'll look up here. On the east side of the Mediterranean, the furthermost south of, uh, east of the Mediterranean Sea is the coast of Israel. You have north of Israel, Syria. Um, to the northeast, you have Asia Minor. Uh, up north, you have, uh, if you look today, you have Greece. And then Italy, to the south of the Mediterranean, you have Africa. Egypt would be at that time, the most prominent area. Uh, but the Mediterranean Sea there is that great body of water and all surrounded really by different nations. And so uh, from Jerusalem, if you remember, Antioch is in Syria. So on the furthermost east coast uh, border of the Mediterranean Sea. And from Syria, they would go northward into Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Remember last time they had sailed uh, from the coast to the island of Cyprus. And then they had sailed up to Asia Minor. This time they're going to go through land uh, northwest. And Paul is going to, if you look at the uh, cities that are mentioned, he's going to move westward. Now if you were look, to look at a map, you have a lot of regions that are not particularly cities, but regions. So you have Cilicia all the way to the east, uh, Lycania, Phrygia, uh, Mysia, to, if you were to go north in present-day Turkey, you, you would have Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia. And so those would be regions that are north of Asia Minor. Those are not cities, they are regions within Asia Minor. And so if you were to look at a map, Paul is moving eastward to westward. As we look at our text, it seems that as he moves from east to west... After passing through Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, which they had already established churches, they had gone through those areas to check on those believers and those churches, he continues to move, to move westward in new areas where he hasn't been, where the gospel has not been preached. And there, as we move, as Paul on this second missionary, he moves westward, we're going to find here that he is going to get specific direction from God. But initially, the direction from God is not made known. Initially, Paul is just going to everywhere he can to preach the gospel. And out of that obedience, God is going to give him specific direction. I want to give you three points here from our text, and then I'll expound on those. First of all, we see the forbidding. Paul is going to be forbidden... To go and preach the gospel in certain areas. We think, well, how does that make sense? Why would Paul be forbidden to do something that God has commanded him to do? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Then we're going to look at the pleading he received to go into new, a new area. And then we're going to see the contemplating on this call of God. So first of all, let's consider the forbidding. As you read here, verse 6 and 7, Paul made two attempts to go into new areas to preach the gospel. And each one of those attempts, Paul is going to be hindered. Now, it's interesting, if you study the scriptures, you know that sometimes Paul says he was hindered by Satan. But not in this case. In this case, he is hindered by God himself, by the Spirit of God. If you notice with me verse 6 and 7, now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, so in Asia Minor, that's north of where they've been thus far. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. That's north of that. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, that northern part of Asia. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. Now that would be the furthest uh, north part of Asia Minor. But the Spirit suffered them not. So understand, the first time they're more west, they try to go northward. The Holy Ghost says no, so then they go westward, and then they try again to go northward, and the Holy Ghost says no. So there is a forbidding. Now the Bible says here they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost, and then verse 7 says the Spirit suffered them not. Now twice they're not hindered by persecution, as far as we don't know. It is evident that the Bible says up to this point, remember when they were in Iconium, there was a conspiracy to stone Paul, and so they left for Lystra. They avoided that persecution. But this doesn't seem to be that. It seems here that the Spirit of God is moving in such a way, either preventing Paul or speaking to Paul about not going to those areas. And so I want to ask this question here, what do we learn from this? If we know the rest of the New Testament, we think about those areas where Paul did not go south of Asia Minor, southeast um, of Asia Minor, or southwest of Asia Minor, uh, northeast of Asia Minor. Why would Paul be prevented uh, from going there? We know later Paul writes a, church, a letter to the churches of Galatia. We know later uh, Paul would plant a church in Ephesus, but not now. The timing is not right. They're forbidden, they're prevented they're not suffered to go there. So what do we learn from this? I think that we learn a number of things from what happens here. Paul is doing his best to obey God. And he has been obeying God. But in this obedience, God is going to direct his way and give him a specific direction. The first thing we learn, we learn three things. And uh, there are the things, but these are the things I believe we learn if you want to write them down. First of all, we learn this. Our plans, desires, and ambitions must be submitted to God's direction. Let me say that again. Our plans, desires, and ambitions must be submitted to God's direction. Now, what Paul here is doing, he is not doing anything wrong. We know there is a sense in the Bible that when we do something wrong, we can be chastened of the Lord. That God reproves us when we are doing something wrong. He, he may convict us of sin in our lives. But here Paul is not doing anything wrong. He is not sinning. As a matter of fact, he is propagating the gospel. He is planting churches. He is teaching people the word of God. He is doing wonderful things. But yet, 
He is not forcing his way into areas where he is being hindered or forbidden by the Holy Ghost. So what that tells us about Paul and his disposition as a mighty preacher of the gospel is that his plans, desires, and ambitions were submitted to God's direction. Paul had plans. I want to go to Galatia. I want to go to Bithynia. I plan on doing that. And God says, no. You got your plan, but I got my plan for you. Uh, was uh, Paul's desire right to preach the gospel to those areas? Yes, it was. He wanted to do that out of obedience to God, to preach the gospel to every creature. His desire was in accordance with God, but God's uh, desire was not to go there yet. For example, Ephesus would be one of those areas. He would plant a church later, but not now. Right desire, not the right time or timing. Even his ambition, now when I use ambition, I'm using that in the spiritual sense for Paul. Paul's ambition was he wanted no doubt to see churches established in every city. From his ministry, that's what comes to the forefront, church planning everywhere. And so that ambition is a good ambition out of obedience to God. And yet, his plans, desires, and ambitions are submitted to God's direction. The word forbidden here, forbidden of the Holy Ghost, means to prevent, to hinder, to keep from doing there, or to going to those specific places. Uh, In verse 7, the Bible says, The Spirit suffer them not. The word suffer here means to permit, to leave alone. And so the idea here is that Paul was preaching the gospel, going from city to city, from region to region, preaching the gospel, And basically up to this point, the Holy Ghost had suffered him. The Holy Ghost had left him alone. The Holy Ghost says, well, he's doing the work of God. He's being faithful. He's preaching the word of God. And so I am suffering him. I am leaving him alone. But then God stepped in and doesn't leave him alone. You see, you're doing a good thing, but this is not quite the direction I want you to go. So scripture here tells us that the Spirit did not permit Paul to go. The Spirit would not leave Paul alone in his endeavor, in his desire, in his ambition to preach the gospel in those places. And those were not wrong. It was just not God's will. So we learn here that our plans, desires, and ambition must be submitted to God's direction. Secondly, we learn this. In uncertainty, continue to live in obedience to God until direction is given. In uncertainty, continue to live in obedience to God until direction is given. If you notice here, there's twice that has happened. In verse 6, he attempted to go northward in Galatia, the northern part of Asia Minor. And in that attempt, uh, he was uh, prevented from going there uh, by the Holy Ghost. And so from there, when he was prevented, instead of Paul saying, well, God doesn't want me to go there, so I'll just sit around and do nothing. Forget about serving God. He's not letting me do what I know is right to do. Yo, he, he continues to move westward. So I can't go north now, so, well, let's go west. Let's preach the gospel. I can't go there, but I can keep obeying God. I can keep preaching the gospel westward. He goes to the furthest place. Well, west is this, uh, this uh, place for you. He goes to the furthest place west. And now he's at Troas. And he think, well, it's a coastal city. And so there's nowhere to go. So I'm going to try to go northward to Bithynia. And this, the, the, the Holy Ghost would not suffer him. Would not leave him alone and let him do that. 
the point I'm making here is Paul was uncertain, but in uncertainty, continue to obey God until direction is given. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have exactly clear direction as to uh, what God wants me to do here, or what decision He wants me to go there. Even a missionary may say, well, I'm not sure exactly what city to go in, or where to go, or what to do. But yet, when there is uncertainty, use that time of uncertainty to keep obeying God. I remember my dad saying, when you think about a missionary, he says, if a missionary doesn't learn to witness here while he is home, he will not witness when he is abroad. What, is that, what does that say? Be obedient where you are. You may not be where God has led you, or you may not know specifically where God has led you, but you can still obey God today in what you know that God wants you to do. You see, direction from God will always be born out of obedience. Sometimes we might try to say, well, God, you give me direction, and then I will obey you. No, that's not the way God works. You obey God, and He will provide direction. And so in uncertainty, continue to live in obedience to God until direction is given. What was the command? You remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, Paul was obeying. And so, not Galatia. Well, there's a whole lot more, more room in the earth. Not Bithynia. Well, there's more room here. There's more, uh, there's more areas where I can obey God. There's more places I can preach the gospel. When Paul, you remember when he shares his calling... Uh, from God about uh, to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 he says this uh, God told him this rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both to these things that thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Initially, when Paul receives the general call from God to preach the gospel to, and to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he didn't have a specific city to go to. But you know what Paul did? He went to every city he could. And as he obeyed God, in his obedience, God gave him specific direction. We will never receive, we will never know God's will for the direction of our lives until we do God's will in our lives today. You see, sometimes we, we want all the direction and all the details about what God wants us to do, but that we're all unwilling to be obedient today and to obey God today and what we know we're supposed to do. You know, there are things in the, in the Scripture, that's why the Bible, there's not a clear command that says, all right, uh, Jack Wagner, you're going to live in 2022 and this is what I want for your life and you're going to go to this city and do this thing. And Mark over here, you're going to go... Th th there's no verse like that. But there are verses where it says, this is God's will for your life today. Do this, do that, do this, live this way, be filled with the Spirit. You obey God today, God will direct you. But it is impossible for God to direct you or for you to give God the opportunity to direct you if you're not obeying Him in the first place in what you know you ought to do. So in uncertainty, continue to live in obedience to God until direction is given. 
Thirdly, the third thing we learn is that godly desires delays, godly desires delayed may not mean desires unfulfilled. Godly desires delayed may not mean desires unfulfilled. One of those areas would be Galatia and the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor that Paul was prevented. But on this very journey later, after he goes through uh, Macedonia, he's going to come back around to Asia Minor and establish a church in Ephesus. So the first time around, God said, no, not the right time. Well, doesn't Ephesus need a church? Yes, it does. Do you need to preach the gospel of Ephesus? Yes, you do. Not right now. I got somewhere else for you to go. I got a specific direction for you, uh, Paul. And so what I'm saying here is that Paul's desire, for example, to start a church in Ephesus was a good desire. It was a godly desire. The Bible says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our hearts. Was Paul's desire a good desire? It was not just the time to see that desire fulfilled. You see, I think often we may have a problem with the timing of desires being fulfilled. Now, we have to make sure that first of all, our desires are godly desires. You see, the first part of that verse says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. See, a lot of times people think, Well, God's just going to give me what I want. That's not what the Bible says. When you delight yourself in the Lord, then... His desires for our lives become our desires. And when those desires are good, them being delayed does not mean they will remain unfulfilled. Because Paul is going to have an impact in all those regions that at this time he is prevented from going into. And by the way, he's not going to stand on the sideline and do nothing until there's churches established in those areas. He's going to continue to go into Macedonia. But godly desires delayed may not mean desires unfulfilled. And sometimes, guess what? God may not grant. One of the desires of Paul was to go to Rome. Remember when he wrote to the church at Rome, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that I, I, I would be with you. But I've been prevented from being with you. He really wanted to be there. Well, he eventually got there, but as a prisoner. Not the way he wanted. So the point sometimes is we, it may even be something good. But it may not be granted. That doesn't mean that God has failed. So we see the forbidding here by the Holy Ghost. But then we see the pleading. Now what is going to happen here is. Paul is going to receive a vision from God. Now notice here in verse 8 and 9. And they, and, and, and they passing by Mysia. So that's the furthest western part of Asia Minor. The coast. Uh, of the Aegean Sea between Asia Minor and Macedonia, which is present-day Turkey and Greece, that body of water. There's nowhere else for him to go, and so he's seeking direction from God. So now as he has the west, uh, the most west point that he can in Asia Minor, he comes to Troas, which is a coastal city, and notice what happens here. So in other words, notice, he does have specific direction from God, but he goes in his obedience as far as he can. And then he gets a vision. Notice verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Simple vision. If you notice here, and I, I would like to label this as a pleading. Paul arrives at Troas. 
Again, the city that is near the western coast of Mysia, Paul had continued to move westward. However, he did not know where to go from there. He had already been prevented from preaching in Asia, Galatia, Bithynia. The timing of this vision was received exactly when Paul needed it. This vision told Paul where to go. Now, this is the vision of what people call the Macedonian call, where there's a Macedonian man in this vision that is pleading with with Paul, saying two words, help us, help us. Now, I'm intrigued here by this idea of a Macedonian man saying, help us. Now, Macedonia, if you know a little bit of your history, I remember taking history of civilization in college and in high school and all those things. You kind of learn about Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Persian Empire, all those empires and all those things. But Macedonia is the center of Greek, of the Grecian Empire. Macedonia is really the center of Greek influence. The Grecian Empire existed before the Roman Empire. Now, although the Roman Empire conquered militarily the area that used to be the Grecian Empire, Greek philosophy persisted through the Roman Empire. It's what we call Hellenization. The Greek influence, mythology, and philosophy was part of the Roman Empire. And the center of that was Macedonia. The Grecians had their philosophers, such as Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. They had their great conqueror, Alexander the Great. The Greeks had their athletic competitions, the place where the Olympics were started, by the way, which we still do today. Uh, They were advanced in their architecture with great theaters and stadiums and buildings. Athens was the center of pagan worship where thousands of gods were worshipped. And with all these things, think about it, the, the pinnacle of civilization and philosophy and of worship of the human body with all those athletes and uh, all those pagan temples everywhere, here was a society that could, you could say, if you went there at that time, had everything and yet had nothing. Because out of that great prosperity and philosophy and greatness, a man from Macedonia says, help us. Showing us that all of the military power, all the philosophers of the past, all of the great military accomplishments, all of the uh, abilities of the human body, all of the great architecture and all the buildings and all the theaters and all the stadiums and all the entertainment and all the, the pagan gods left a society that was void and empty. Help us. You know, that is still the call today of, of our society. They have everything. You got all the today, don't we have stadiums everywhere that house hundreds of thousands of people? Don't we have all the entertainment and the the skyscrapers and you go everywhere and all the philosophers, uh, 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 so many that they're innumerable, all those athletes that are being worshipped and that are being paid millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to put a, uh, a ball through a hoop. 
And yet the society has uh, more suicides than ever before. The society sees crimes all over rampant. And you think about the society that seemingly has everything that it would need. And yet the society continues to cry out, help us. You see, the problem with society is they say help us, but they don't want God to be the answer. But God is the only answer. Help us. There's a similarity here. I, I do want to point, make this point of emphasis back because here there's a vision for Peter, uh, for Paul, but there's a similarity with the vision that Peter received. You remember when Peter began his ministry, he was traveling through Judea, and he received a vision that a man was going to come to him, request for him to go preach to a group of Gentiles who were gathered at the house of Cornelius and then see their salvation. Here Paul receives a similar vision because the vision in both cases would provide direction. And I, I really want us to be careful here because there's a lot of people here today that say, well, I've received a vision from God. And let me just be as plain as I can. Every time you see a vision from God in God's Word, it is always aligned in fulfillment with a command from God. Every time you see a vision in God's Word, it is always aligned with a command from God. What was the command given to Peter? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Peter was doing that. Then he received a vision from God to go what? To go to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel. Paul was already preaching from city to city to city. But then he received a vision from God to do what? To preach the gospel in a new region. You see, all of the fluff out there that you hear, well, I received a vision and God told me to do this and God told me to do this. And much of that is not aligned with the clear command of God. It's no vision at all. Visions from God are always aligned with the Word of God, with the commands of God, with the glory of God. So these visions from God's Word are always connected to the fulfillment of God's Word. So those who claim to have some vision or some word or some revelation that is outside of the scope of God's work should be careful to claim and to attribute it to God. And by the way, since we have the close of the scriptures, we don't need a vision from God. We have all the vision we need right here. We have to realize Paul did not, did not have this. But we have it. So we see the forbidding, we see the pleading, but we also see the contemplating. Notice verse 10 with me. The Bible says, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Now the expression here, assuredly gathering, means this, proving. It means basically to gather things together, to consider and compare them in order to come to a proper conclusion. They assuredly had gathered. So what had happened thus far? Well, verse 6, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia and Galatia. Okay. Verse 7, the Spirit suffered them not to go into Bithynia, the northernmost part of Asia Minor. Verse 8, they came to a stopping point in Troas. Where do we go from here? Can't go north, can't go south. 
Where do we go? We've gone as west as we could. And at that very moment, he receives a vision for direction from God. So, assuredly gathered is what? Bring all the facts together and reason and say, what does God want us to do? Well, he said, don't go here, don't go here. We've reached a stopping point, and as soon as we reach a stopping point, God says, this is where I want you to go. The direction of God, when it is not explicitly stated in the Scriptures, here, there's no verse that says, Paul, go into Macedonia. Now, the verse would say, go into all the world. So Macedonia would be part of all the world. But where do you start? What order do you do that? There is no verse on that. So how do you know? Well, you have to assuredly gather. You have to prove. You see here, they're contemplating on all of these factors and they conclude that the Lord was leading them to Macedonia. And it is interesting, there's one more point about what they're proving is that does this fit within God's command for us? What, what's God's command? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, it fits within that. So you assess. As Christians, we have to be reasonable. We, re, we really have to go beyond says, Well, you know, uh, Pastor, what should, what should I do? Well, I really feel that I should. Well, I'm not against feelings, but if feelings is all you have, it's not enough. What does God want me to do? Well, do you, have you discerned things? Have, has God directed you? Has God opened doors? Has He closed doors? Has the Spirit of God spoken to you directly? And also, does that direction in your life fit within the scope of God's work? You have to assess all those things and then know that it's the direction from God. You see here, they're going to go into Macedonia and, I, and this would be as clear... This is as clear to Paul as having a Bible verse. Now it's interesting. The vision is not, Paul, you have been called to go to Macedonia. That's not the vision. The vision is a Macedonian man that says, help us. Now Paul, right, so not a direct call, but a vision that represents the need of Macedonia. Paul assuredly gathers that the need of Macedonia fits within the command of God. You get that? The need of Macedonia fits within the commands of God. So there's no doubt that this is where God wants Paul to be. So in this Macedonian call... You know, we, we often think, uh, I, I was reading, somebody said to the, the effect of something like this about this verse, they said, you know, this is a wonderful uh, transition for Paul where he's going to take the gospel to Europe and eventually now in America we have the gospel because Paul uh, took the gospel to Europe and, and I, I want to stop and slow down for a minute because I'm thinking, well, that's, that was not Paul's plan. He wanted to go to Galatia, Bithynia, and Asia. God directed him. Not bad desires, but God directed him. So God's moving and directing the life of Paul, the call of God, 
was born out of obedience. Any direction we will receive from God will always be born out of obedience. So here's what we need to focus on. Here's the application, and it's very simple. Do we want direction from God? I hope as Christians we all say yes. And I would tell you, then obey God. You want direction from God? Obey God. Direction, specific direction from God, will only come when we learn to be obedient to God. The call does not bring about obedience. Obedience births a call. So the emphasis is not God's call, God's call, God's call. What is it? No. Obey God, obey God, and He will direct you. You see, the call, as a matter of fact, is not something we worry about. We have to focus on responsibility in our lives. And then the call will take care of itself. May we do the things that we know we ought to do. So then God can give us direction.